Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. I, I had to move the promo book, Matt, because I, I'm sitting down so I can't see when you turn the buttons on when it's time to talk. Oh. Because you don't give any kind of hand signal. <laughs> so, uh, I should. I should start making up a uh, like a secret. Well, the usual hand signal that you give me during gang, the course of the show do some gang wouldn't work. Because usually it's like, mm. yep. so. Welcome to Spooky South Coast, <laughs> where we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. I'm a slightly stuffed up Tim Weisberg. Uh, with me is a uh, mildly upset stomach, Matt Costa, and explosive <laughs> diarrhea, Matt Moniz. <laughs> start the start the show off right. Uh, start the show off on a on a with a bang, no pun intended. But uh, no, normally we are here to talk about the paranormal and not our various uh, gastrointestinal ailments. Uh, and that tonight that's, will be no exception to that. It is. It's going to be one of those freeform shows, at least here in the beginning, because uh, holiday weekend. You know, it's. It's understandable. People are busy, and we don't pre-tape because you know we we it's live or nothing with us here at Spooky South Coast, and, and we try to be as professional as we can with uh, with very little to work with. So that's what we're going to do here in the first hour. We're just going to freeform it for a while. Then coming up in hour number two, we'll do the weekend weird, and then joining us after that will be Raymond Wiley. He uh, he works for a company called the Disinformation Company. And what they are is they're a new uh, media outlet. Well, I, mean, I don't know how new. Um, we'll we'll discuss with them, but they're a media outlet that uh, promotes disinformation uh, authors. I guess you could say people who are you know putting the word out there that's not the norm, uh, not the accepted fact. And uh, they've got a, a great stable of people involved with them, including uh, Alex Jones, Jim Mars, and uh, they're they're also uh, in addition to books, they put out DVDs. They have uh, on-demand films, and they also have uh, like a blog on their website, disinfo.com, where you can catch, you know, news stories that are out there that might be in the same vein. So uh, we'll we'll talk with him a little bit later on about what the company does, uh, about what the other company does too, not mm-hmm. just uh, the the company capital C, and uh, we'll talk about a lot of the various works that their authors are doing, as well as just some general conspiracy theory stuff, and you know. Uh, last week was the anniversary of the JFK assassination, and that always brings about a lot of conspiracy-related programming on the History Channel, the Discovery Channel. So it's something that's freshening people's minds. So we'll we'll talk about that and more. Uh, there's a whole whole wide variety of paranormal topics that we can touch upon, and we'll also take your calls: five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred one. I haven't memorized the eight hundred number, Matt. Can you can you read it off the board? One eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Exactly. Beautiful. I got it memorized now. All right. You know how long it took for me to memorize the uh, the Wareham phone number before, and now I got to memorize like an additional three numbers, four numbers. <laughs> Even though it's only one eight seven seven, it's just all these toll free exchanges. It's so hard to to remember who has what now. Yeah. You know, it's like remember uh i don't know probably about 10 years ago when they had all those collect calling numbers 10 220 yeah no but before, besides that though they also had like the 1877 1888 oh. 
And it was like, even before that, yeah, then the 10, 10, 220s <laughs> and all those. I wonder if those still work. I don't know. We should. I think I still have, I, I, I have one of those stickers they used to give out. Yeah, I, ha- I had one on my fridge for the longest yeah. time. The one of the magnets. Maybe we should try no, I still have a calm electric magnet on my fridge. <laughs> so. I have New England telephone. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> one day, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, one day Matt Coss and I were just going off on a rant. We were talking about old, like, uh, Old uh, utility companies, <laughs> and we were talking about you know I was doing like the New England telephone, <laughs> New England telephone jingle. We're the one for you, New England, New England telephone, part of the Ninex family. <laughs> <laughs> like we're like, what the hell is Ninex? <laughs> Nobody remembers that anymore, but <clears throat> for some reason we still do. So uh, yeah, we should try the ten ten two twenty like Chris Balzano. Do they? <laughs> Although if we did it, uh, and he accepted the charges, I'd feel really bad mm. because. That's uh, it's a lot of money to pay for a joke. I think they still make you pay the 1996 collect call rate. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that might actually be a deal. So what's going on in the paranormal world? Matt Moniz, I know you had a chance to, to check out a place today, and I don't want to advertise it because I don't want to get all the crazy ghost hunting kids breaking into there. There's nothing left of the place, so that's what's unfortunate. Well, that being said, though, it would still be trespassing if they went in there. And Correct. Did you... Uh, did you get permission ahead of time? or? Well, we used uh, a, a phone. We phoned up uh, certain individuals, let them know we were going to go film some stuff there. It was just a matter of going in, taking photographs. Didn't want to do anything extensive because, number one, the place is dangerous. It's all overgrown, all filled with all kinds of garbage, burnt down buildings, and it's just... Well, yeah. we're we're talking about a local amusement park here that's no longer in operation. We'll just yeah. we'll leave it at that. And uh, and and if you are in this area, area, you know what we're talking about. Don't don't go there. Yeah, it's actually quite unsafe. But uh, that what is it about these places that it it attracts people? People want to go there and, and conduct investigations, and they're even willing to to risk getting caught trespassing. Is it a matter of? Um, because these locations are so well known to have activity, or is it just because it's more the nostalgia aspect than anything else? Well, some it's both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, for me, it was a nostalgia thing in the sense that I had grown up in the area and used to going there as a kid and a teenager driving up there and spending many a good summer night uh, trouncing through the place. And then to go back and see nothing but a, you know, skeleton of what it once was with trees all overgrown filled with various road fill from construction projects from here there and everywhere just dumped into place because it's a place where they can you know dump their refuse and i mean the only ghosts that i was able to detect there were the ones in my memory yeah well and uh i can imagine what some of your memories were like in that place it was uh, an interesting time. It was yeah. mainly the 80s, so little, uh, we go from there. Slow ride in the tunnel of love. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the, well, the, I think part of it, too, is, um, you know, we talk about a lot of these residual hauntings uh, and the fact that this energy is imprinted on a location. And I think that you're going to have that in, a, in an amusement park because you're going to exactly. have so many. All of that positive <clears throat> energy or energy provided imprinting, most definitely. You have all of the concrete and, and masonry and a lot of stone actually laid there 
And not only that, you also have some tragic history that has occurred in places like that. Sure, I, mean, I know with that one in particular, there was a fire in the uh, in the carousel house here originally, correct. right? Not only that, there have been two other people that were thrown from rides and killed. Well, not thrown, one thrown from a ride and killed the other run over. Was, so, was there, was there a death from the roller coaster? Is yeah, that the one? Yeah. That, yeah. One was thrown, the other was run over. And, and the, uh, you know, the giant wooden roller coaster would, you know, is, could certainly hold in some, some memories and some energies and. If, if you're into that, yeah, I guess it could. Uh, it can certainly hold in the smell of smoke from a fire. Yes. That's, so, you that's know, for if, sure. if, uh, you know, in the 1980s, early 90s, whenever it closed, you know, there was a lot of, just say, people grilling, you know, and, and, and the different sausage stands they had and the picnic areas they used to have. If that wood absorbs that smoke smell, well, then when somebody goes there, uh, say, you know, today was kind of damp in the morning. Right. It was nice in the afternoon, but it was damp in the morning. So if some of that dampness causes that wood to expand, you get that smell coming out. Somebody might be like, oh, I smell fire. It must be the ghost of that, right. you know, carousel fire. So you can just see how, how it kind of spirals from there. Well, there's also another psychological thing. We, when we imprint memories, we're using usually all of our senses when we're storing a memory, including smell, since it's a smell. Uh, there have been plenty of cases where people have gone back and uh, seeing something can re-register a smell. Not, not all that often, although it's rare that people actually hallucinate a smell. That's one of the senses that it's almost impossible to. And, but As a writer, too, I can tell you, too, a smell is the um, hardest to describe out right. of any smell. So it's uh, it's very uh, fortunate for us that we retain the memory of smell because we would never be able to store that feeling otherwise in another manner without knowing what that smell is, yeah. if, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, like the smell of popcorn. Sure. Okay? You know, it's a distinctive smell, and, you know, every smell is a – usually with most smells, there's memories associated with them. Yeah. yeah. Well, popcorn, you get the memories of, you know, going to movies and amusements and things of that nature, yeah. And uh, the, the memories, at least that I, that I have of uh, Lincoln Park, were oh, whoops, yeah. <laughs> was uh, asking if uh, I could go on the roller coaster and nobody would take me on. And it wasn't until years later that I uh, I got to go on my first one at Rocky Point. I was telling you earlier on the way here, uh, <clears throat> I went right for the Metal Loop roller coaster for my first one, and yeah. then kind of everything else was was downhill from there. But we have a call on the line, and if uh, if you're calling to let us know about the live stream, Matt, what's going on with that? Was the swip, switch flipped? Um, no, it seems to be something with the uh, whoever hosts the live stream for WBSM. Okay, so, so it it is down, and uh, so that just makes you you know want to download the podcast <laughs> yeah. even more, and we'll have it up tomorrow because uh, we're, we're said she's going to start transcribing the the show. Right? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> we'll speak very slowly. All right, let's go to the phones. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Yes, yeah, speak very slowly. I can't type that fast. Okay. <laughs> we will go slow. And that's what I was calling about. All the guys in the in the chat room are hollering. They want the live feed. We don't know what's going on. I think uh, maybe when we take a commercial break, we can try and um, hook up the audio uh, to Justin TV. But we, we did bring a... a uh, uh, Ethernet. Yeah, an Ethernet cable, but we didn't have a chance to install. We have to leave it for the engineer to install oh. because we're not supposed to install things here. Uh-oh. So, but uh, we'll try, but I don't think we'll be able to get it going. 
Okay. That's the unfortunate thing about Saturday nights at 10 o'clock is there's no tech people around to fix these problems for us. Oh, that's not a good thing. So, uh... I guess they're all on, like, vacation or out patty, you know? Yeah, who knows? Or maybe they were on investigation. That's maybe, what I would be doing. Maybe they sabotaged the show. <laughs> oh, maybe. Well, they're all saying that you should have the studio smudged again. Maybe it's about time. We we did have some problems last week, and yeah. we're certainly having our share of uh, issues around here, so maybe it's time. Did you feed the gremlins turkey after midnight? <laughs> well, not only that, but we spilled water on them, too, so now it's, oh, twi- it's twice as bad as it was before. Oh, man, now you're really in trouble, guys. I can't help you. Well... Keep them in the studio. Like I said, we'll speak slowly if you want. <laughs> uh, just tell everybody to download the podcast. It helps our numbers. <laughs> All right, guys. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Oh, we did. How was yours? Oh, great. Great. It was my grandson's first. Oh, I saw the photos on SpookySouthCoast.com. Yeah, he had a blast over here. Well, he always does, so he loves his grandma. Well, uh, my, my son's five, and he's still still not a fan of turkey, so... Oh, really? Yeah, he has his Thanksgiving chicken nuggets. I think the only thing I've seen that my grandson won't eat is kale. He made a face and spit it out. Anything else that boy will eat. <laughs> well, let's not tell that to anybody around here then. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for checking in and thank you for uh, alerting us to that problem. We're going to do whatever we can to try to alleviate it during the break. But No problem. I just limited. hope the chat room guys don't take me hostage for the live feed. <laughs> they all should come over your house and a listening party. <laughs> hey, Cra- they can eat leftover up- turkey. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. Have a good night. You too, guys. Thanks. Night. Yeah, we, you know, we're kind of handcuffed when it comes to the technical stuff here because there's, like I said, there's nobody around to fix it. But we will have the podcast up nice and early tomorrow, so everybody will be able to, to hear it that way. And Matt, I noticed that you're on SpookySouthCoast.com. I am. And I noticed that on SpookySouthCoast.com, there's a link for Investigators Night tomorrow night at the Quickishan Club in Fall River. And if anybody would like to join us for our investigation of the Quickishan Club, there are still tickets available. Uh, it's $50 a ticket, and you can go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the link that says click here for upcoming Investigators Night, and all that is is just an email form just to let us know who you are, uh, how many people you're bringing, and a contact phone number in case we need to get in touch with you if anything happens. And that way there we'll just have you on the list, and then you'll pay at the door when you get there. If you are listening and you don't have access to a computer but you would like to go, uh, feel free to come by. We're going to sell some tickets at the door, so you'll still be able to get in. Try and bring exact change, too. <laughs> we, we were having this discussion on the way here. None of us actually have any change for, like, 60 bucks. Yeah. So try to bring 50 if you can. And we'll take checks. I don't see why we wouldn't. And uh, so as long as you have a valid ID. Yep. And, uh, and the directions are up there now. The directions are yeah. up there on SpookySouthCoast.com. Well, why don't you read them to people, if you can get get to them. Just read um, them out loud in case anybody's listening and they don't have computer access, but they still want to join us. It's uh, it's quite possible that people might not know where the historic Quickishan Club is on North Main Street in Fall River, but you know we're, we're veterans. We're members, <laughs> so we know exactly where to find it. Um, well, I put it up so that you it'll take you right to uh, oh, beautiful. the Google Maps. Nice, very nice. Which can't go wrong with Google Maps. Yeah, and then it gives you the Second. exact address. Yeah. Uh, it will. Won't Google Maps too send directly to GPSs? Um, I'm not sure. I, I believe it G- does. GPS. Some of them, depending upon the model. So uh, a lot of people uh, have the GPS, and especially in Fall River, where 
you know, some of the streets have two different names. And there's one ways and no ways and yeah. upside down ways. So uh, you can you can go right on the website and get it. But why don't you just give everybody the address? It's uh, 306 North Main Street in uh, Fall River, Massachusetts, 02720. So if you uh, if you want to go and, and you're not even sure where to find that, just head to Fall River. Uh, you know, head like you're heading toward Battleship Cove. When you see that big Verizon building with the uh, the 1980s satellite dishes on top there, <laughs> that's it. It's right next to that. It's the white building right next to that, the Quickishan Club. And uh, Matt's actually using the, the Google Earth zoom in right now so you can yeah. see who's there. See, Do you see Dan's car there? No. Just kidding. But, uh, yeah, we're going to have a great time. Yeah, they're in the uh, Fall River YMCA. Yeah, it is. It is. It's uh, right down near the armory. Uh, the Masonic Lodge, the library, it's all right down in that area. So if you're familiar with that, then uh, you know where to find the Quickishan Club. We're going to be there tomorrow night. starts at 6 o'clock. We're going to go till midnight. We're going to offer you a class, uh, you know, kind of a introduction to the paranormal if you've never investigated before and you're not really sure what types of activity that you might be able to find there. We're going to go over all that with you briefly. We're going to keep it short so that you have plenty of time to investigate. And then we're going to go all over the place. We've got the uh, the entire house to ourselves, the entire building to ourselves. And it's just a, a, a cool place. It's unlike any other place that you, you might have a chance to investigate because it's there's so much history there, but it's not intrusive. You know what I mean? It's not like you're in a museum, but at the same time, you're in a museum. In a sense, yeah. It, it, there's so many different items that have been collected over the years, things that members have donated, things that they've acquired that look like they fit the, the decor of the club. Uh, there's two huge dining rooms. Uh, there's, you know, uh, three floors of different rooms that we can investigate. There's a, a pub downstairs with, uh, a bowling alley that once had the oldest running bowling league in America operating, uh, with it. And there's, uh, old shower rooms that have been converted into bathrooms and, it's just it's it's a phenomenal place, and if you get in, the chance to get in there, and we're going to have a relatively small group, it looks like, you know, because of the economy and the holiday weekend, a lot of people aren't taking the trip, so it's going to be a unique opportunity. And I think these people are going to get a lot of bang for their buck for for the type of place it is. It's um, if somebody wants to get their feet wet, this is this is a good place to do it, in my opinion. Because nothing, there doesn't seem to be, at least in our investigation of it, and, and the, the Dartmouth Anomalies research team has been there a few times, too. There doesn't seem to be anything negative going on, necessarily. There definitely seems to be a uh, communicative spirit there who has seems to have a backstory. Yeah. Uh, and we'll go over all that uh, at the club uh, beforehand, but it's, it's it's all up there on SpookySouthCoast.com. We still have all the evidence posted from that show, uh, if you go to the archives. And it's just... One of those situations where it's not like the building is overtly haunted necessarily. It's not like the activity that's happening there is bothering the patrons, bothering the employees. It's just they have the occasional brief encounter with the paranormal. Right. And when you go in there and you're actually looking for it and you're looking to establish contact with it, it seems to be responsive, which to me is kind of interesting because – it's always an interesting dichotomy uh, when you go to a location and it's the activity is there and people do experience it, but it doesn't bother anyone necessarily. But then when you are trying to investigate, it does kind of come out of the woodwork and it wants to let you know that it's there and it wants – is that 
would you think, in your opinion, Moniz, of, of having done this for so long, is that kind of just the, the maybe the nature of that spirit that maybe they're respectful of others and they don't want to intrude? I, I think that's one part of it. The other part of it is I don't think since this place is, you know, newly open to people, you know, looking for these things. Mm-hmm. I think it's the fact that they're being acknowledged, so they're going to react. Hey, they see me, somebody's paying attention to me, as opposed to years of just being ignored. Well, the question that I'm, I'm, I'm getting to with this is, is it's almost like, is it not there unless somebody, um, unless somebody wants it to be there? Is it not, it's like the tree falling in the woods, you know, is, this paranormal activity needs somebody to pay attention to it for it to happen. No, because we have plenty of security camera videos of things. But there happening. was a camera there to capture it. You see what I'm saying? But nobody else there to. I'm I'm talking during regular homes and business places. Stuff captured on security but, systems, not by ghost hunters or anything, just by the owners themselves running the cameras. But the camera was there, so therefore okay. it had the the avenue. That's, I mean, we're, we're definitely getting into like a chicken and egg type of discussion, but you, you know, you're giving it the opportunity to present itself. Okay, I see. If you're not saying. giving it the opportunity to present itself, does it happen? I mean, if there's a building that's abandoned that nobody ever goes to, you know, is this stuff happening in there? Yeah, it's like Schrodinger's, you know, thing. Is the cat dead or not dead in the box? You don't know until you observe. It exists in both states. See, that's. See, this is like dropping some science here. But that's, I mean, that's the point of it. I mean, think of how long that this activity could have been going on there. Uh, that it, it could have been intensifying over the years or it could have been, uh, maturing, we'll say, over the years. But because you're getting in right on the cusp of, of this breaking point of it, that it, to me, it's just like, it's like imagine if you have the chance to take a five-year-old, a six-year-old, and teach them everything about the world, you know, to to open up the doors for them and to kind of share in them the wonder of of what's going on. Not only do we have that opportunity with people who have never investigated before with this Investigators Night, we have the chance to show them, hey, here's here's a whole side of things that you never thought of before. Look, we're bringing you into the paranormal, but we're getting to introduce the paranormal to the fact that people are out there looking for it. And it's just, it's, to me, it's a really cool thing. And if, you know, if we get there and nothing happens, you know, that's what happens. Um, like an ethereal dating service. Okay. Exactly. You know, <laughs> but, uh, for some reason, we seem to have a lot of luck with these events and, and a lot of luck with investigations, too. It seems like wherever we go, um, things We have go a on. fair share of things happen. I mean, I, not unlike what you see on television, not something happens every time we go out. I mean, no, but you know what? I could almost, I mean, you're out there more separately without us, but I'd almost say that when we're out there as a group, uh, whether it be conducting these events or whenever we're doing stuff on our own, it seems like there's always just a little something that we walk away with. Yeah, something that keeps you interested. Yeah. And there's some cases where we've had, we've just been absolutely blown away with yeah, stuff that's well, happened. Yeah, we've been floored. And I have to say the Quicker Shane Club, uh, when we did our Got my attention for damn sure. Yeah, that was definitely one where, uh, especially whenever you can get those, those Frank's boxes going, those ghost boxes going, and you get a response. Well, what about the response that happened before the box happened? Andy pointed that out to you. The, the class A EVP audible before the box even responds. Now, that's, 
that to me gives me a, you know, you get a, an audible voice giving a name and then another voice coming out of the box saying a name before, you know what I'm saying? That got my attention. And, and we highly recommend that if you are coming, you bring all of the devices that you might have that you want to use for investigation. Uh, if you're a seasoned professional at this and you want to bring in your, your thermal cameras and your surveillance systems and everything else you might have, by all means, do it. Um, just keep in mind that, you know, you can't say to somebody, hey, don't go in this area, I'm running cameras. I mean, it's open to everybody. Um, we can certainly give you a period of time where you can run your tape without anybody yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, within there, reason. But, yeah, um, but the idea is not to monopolize a spot. For, sure. Yeah. And, and if you have a, a shack hack, which, you know, a lot of people are starting to, to get them, then... A novelist uh, or... We'll have ours. We'll definitely have ours with us, so uh, you'll be able to utilize that. Uh, you know, if you have a digital camera, bring your digital camera. I recommend that if you want to take photos, do not use your cell phone camera. No matter how good your cell phone is, I don't care if you have an iPhone. I don't care if you have, you know, the BlackBerry. What do you got there, Matt? Storm. Storm. Yeah, I don't care what you have. No droids. No, yeah, I don't care. None of that These stuff aren't the is droids you're looking for. <laughs> no. Like you owe George Lucas some money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so just bring whatever you can. Uh, digital tape recorders. Uh, definitely bring those. Uh, well, analog. Whatever tape recorder you use, bring that. Uh, because there's going to be a lot of opportunities to, to try and – I don't want to say do it like you see it on television, but really you'll have that chance. You know, whatever you want to try, we'll be willing to try it. We'll be open to it. And the crazy crackpot theories that people try when it comes to investigating the paranormal and get results, that's what interests me. You know, Somebody might come up with an idea that's completely out of left field, and I say there's no way that's going to work. That's so stupid in my head. I would never say that to somebody's face. But uh, and then when we do it, and the next thing you know, the activity responds. So, now is it responding to the the idea or your expectation? Well, that's that's true too. Well, I mean, we we tried a little bit of experimentation when we were at the Kokoshan Club with, uh, and it seemed to work out. Yeah, I mean, and that just worked for us. There could be other things that work. Well, we're there. We're definitely open. We're, we want to learn too. I mean, it's funny because we say, well, we're going to bring you in. We're going to give you a class. We're going to teach you. We're going to lead you in an investigation. But we're learning all the time, too. And what better way to learn than to have some newcomers come in and fresh blood? Well, anybody in any project, well, it doesn't have to be just ghost hunting. If you're really good at what you're doing, you learn from other people no matter how long you've been doing it. So somebody can always bring something new to the table that you never thought of. Why don't we take a break? And uh, by the way, if you want to call in uh, at any point during the show, during a commercial break, during the news, after the show, and let us know that you're interested in coming to the event, uh, the numbers are 508-996-0500, And you can email us, SpookyCrew, at SpookySouthCoast.com. And uh, when we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about this interesting story that has to do with Charles Manson. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that. Maybe you've got some thoughts as well. All I'm saying is, both of you guys look like you have somewhat of a relationship to Mitz. Maybe this guy's a distant cousin or something. Uh, I'm not going to say a thing. <laughs> we'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. To what grave did I come? And what evil next was I confounded? I have to die for all the time I need to plan it. Destroy the monster. 
Strangest people you know. Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, Matt Costa, and Matt Moniz along as well. And we're talking about the paranormal. That's what we talk about each and every Saturday night. And as uh, as our caller discussed with us during the break, hi Chris, she wanted us to mention uh, that you know we are not offering food as part of this investigators' night. In the past, when we've done them at Lizzie Borden's house, you know we've ordered pizzas and everything. Um, there's no outside food or drink allowed in the club. And uh, because we're only going to have so few people, uh, the owner of the club can't really bring in the cook. So as far as I know, there's no real plans for a freshman. So uh, b- bring bottles of water. I'm sure that'll be all right. And I'm going to see if I can get him to put out some coffee at some point during the night. But other than that, make sure you eat before you come or, uh, you know, stick a candy bar in your pocket or something. That's what I usually do. Usually when you look at my ghost hunting kit, I have like two Milky Way bars for a sugar rush when I start to get a little... Uh, tired so as i obviously am tonight i'm having the worst night i've got <laughs> stuffed up head dead ass tired massive foot pain i'm gonna have a lot of fun on those quick and shank club stairs tomorrow let me tell you hopefully uh it goes away all right well here's a here's a quick story that uh is from the new york post a gandhi following peace-loving free-spirited vegetarian who was adopted at birth has discovered the worst possible thing a son could find out about his father his dad is charles manson <laughs> It's like finding out that Adolf Hitler is your father, said Matthew Roberts, a Los Angeles disc jockey. A curious Roberts, 41, began investigating his poison family tree about 12 years ago when he contacted a social services agency, which located his mother, Terry, in Wisconsin. His reluctant natural mom fed him bits and pieces, like his first and middle name, Lawrence Alexander, withholding his infamous surname until she could summon the courage to tell him the truth. But Roberts pressed her for more details until she finally revealed the shocking secret that his dad was one of the most infamous serial killers the world has ever known. I didn't want to believe it, Roberts said. I was frightened and angry. I'm a peaceful person trapped in the face of a monster. Terry told Roberts he was born after Manson raped her in a drug-fueled orgy in 1967. She gave the baby up for adoption. Even she admits her long-lost son bears a striking resemblance to the mastermind whose family of commune followers committed nine gruesome murders in Los Angeles in 1969. Their victims included pregnant actress Sharon Tate, film director Roman Polanski's wife. Manson, 75, is an inmate at Corcoran State Prison in California. After five years, Roberts eventually wrote to Manson, who replied... I know you're looking it up, Matt. It's uh, Matthew Roberts. Just put in Matthew Roberts, Charles Manson. After five years, Roberts eventually wrote to Manson, who replied with letters and postcards, eerily signed with an ugly swastika, the wartime Nazi symbol Manson is tattooed onto his menacing forehead. Roberts said he has his own bouts with schizophrenia, but other than that, the apple fell far from the tree. Oh yeah, other than that whole schizophrenia thing, I'm nothing <laughs> like my dad. Uh, my hero is Gandhi, Roberts said. I'm an extremely non-violent, peaceful person and a vegetarian. I don't even kill bugs. I've had long hair all my life. I could make it go away, but I can't let the world and their fears change me. Two years ago, Roberts said he received a swastika stamp postcard from Manson with a prison phone number, but Roberts never made the call. He, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's my biological father. I can't help but have some kind of emotional connection, Roberts said. I don't want to love him, but I don't want to hate him either. Yep. 
So, uh, what do you think? First of all, by the way, can we just get this out of the way? Charles Manson? Yep. Least scariest person I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I know what happened and I know what went on, but for all these people who are so scared of Manson, he's like... Four foot nine? Yeah. He's, he's short, scrawny, he's like a drowned rat, and he's like the crazy dude that always talks crazy that nobody ever listens. He they, just happened to get these people to listen to him. Right. He never actually committed any of the murders or crimes, so to speak. They found him cowering in a um underneath a sink, bathroom sink. In a you know where you put all your various things under your bathroom sink? Some something that small he crawled into. Look he was a, a, a drug addict taking psychedelic drug you know, psycho what do you call them drugs? Psycho yeah. Yeah. So he's you know, he's taking all this crazy stuff. He's got all these people that he was a charismatic guy. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So he's got all these followers that are taking these drugs to. He's got a, obviously got a Napoleonic complex. He starts ranting and raving about what he thinks should go on and, you know, capitalist pigs and all this kind of crap. And then he gets them fired up. They listen. They go out and do what he says. And I'm guessing, not that I was there and not that I want to belittle what happened, but I'm just guessing that when all this stuff went down, I don't think Manson was like, yeah, right on, brothers and sisters. I think Manson was like, ah, oh, holy crap. I didn't know they were really listening to me. It's just he's he's not the face of evil incarnate, which I, I've often heard the people say that's the face of the devil. That's the face of a crazy bastard that other people <laughs> were even crazier to listen to. Let's go to the phones here. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Hi, guys. Happy holidays. And to you as well. Listen, I know that this is off subject, but... Um I read this on the back of Harper's um, magazine, November issue, like, you know, they have findings. Uh-huh. I, and, like, I always call you guys when I want to know something more about, like, news that perhaps I don't get. Sure. You know that large Hadron Collider they have? They're studying the Big Bang. Where they study the Big Bang. Yeah. Like an atomic collider. Well, two, this is what findings said. It said two prominent physicists claim it's being sabotaged from the future. No kidding. All right. So, like, I had my son, since I don't have a computer, Google it for me, right, to find out what the source was. And it was true. It was in the London Times. They confirmed their, you know, um, prominent and respected physicists worldwide. And uh, these claims, usually, you know, people make claims like this and they're laughed at. However, their peers aren't laughing this time. So, like, I realize that time and space can bend and all that. But uh, my question would be, like, who, why, where, what, what for, <laughs> you know, when. And I can't, I really can't uh, find find out anything else. I just wonder what the evidence is on. Like, is it a science, is it scientific, empirical evidence, mathematical, it's a hypothesis, whatever. So, like, if you guys can find out something about it, and I know you know who knows, <laughs> you know, just like look into a farm, unless you're not interested because it don't say... <laughs> well, what you also might find interesting is recently the collider has gone offline because it's a very sensitive and delicate piece of instrumentation, and it was because of Al Qaeda and all that crap. No, it was a it was a bird that dropped a baguette on a particularly sensitive piece of the thing, and it set it off 
well, broke it. Oh, basically. you mean physically sensitive, not just physically about. sensitive? Yes. Wow! Whoa! <laughs> dropping a bird, dropping a piece of bread, you know, put it offline for about a week. Yeah. So that makes you wonder, though. Like, it makes you, it makes a person wonder. Why would you know a piece of machinery like that? Well, I guess it doesn't make you wonder. Look at the, look at the like space shuttles and how like. It's one of the most complex things man has ever built. Yeah, a few things can go wrong. Talking about Hadrian? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it is. So, but to think that a piece of bread would like upset, it's like, you know, and I understand what they're starting, it just makes me curious. And if it's true, or if, you know, you know any of the sources, or why, if you find that out. Haven't looked into it, but I will. I'll tell you that. All right, Christine? All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Happy holidays. You too. Well, I mean, it, it, if it is being sacrificed, uh, sabotaged from the future, you know, I, I can understand why that would be something that people would want to come back and prevent because there's so much fear about this device as being something that's going to cause massive problems for the world. I know we've talked in the past. You right. think it's, the fears are kind of overblown. Way overblown. No, knowing what the physics are about it. I mean, everybody's, oh, it's going to create a black hole and suck the earth in. No, it doesn't have enough. Juice, not even remotely enough juice to do something like Would, that. Wouldn't a small black hole be enough? Oh, okay. To uh, even create a black, black hole. hole. Okay, right. Yeah, I mean sustainable. For I mean you can you can make small, very small, minute black holes occur during a nuclear explosion. Okay, but I mean there isn't enough fuel and energy to be provided to condense you know something into a super heavy mass that sustains it. That's the point. In other words, it doesn't have enough juice to to stay lit, basically. But there are all kinds of strange particles that can be generated after that effect. And aren't we also that, giving kind of the first beginning steps then? If this will create a small one, uh, you know. It's a f- future step to making bigger ones that can cause a much bigger problem. Okay, we learned the problems with this here. Here's a small scale of this, or we learn how to refine it and how to make it even make the device even smaller for a bigger bang for the buck type of thing because we're look what we've done with cell phones and computers this is so uh, maybe maybe somebody would want to travel back in time that would kind of be like the time travel equivalent of coming back and stopping the trs 80 you know or punching 14 year old hitler in the face something (laughs) you know it's like i I did something it it might not be enough to to stop but uh, it definitely is something to look into especially with the uh you know, one thing we've never really talked about here on the show is the the discussions of John Teeter and his yeah. time travel. Uh, and nobody really knows if he was a time traveler who's telling us the truth about why he was back here. There was a lot of speculation that there was some technology that we were developing that he was here to stop. You know, maybe that's somewhat related to it. So it, it is definitely worth looking into. Um, but uh, you know, we should have called Matthew Roberts, the uh, the disc jockey that. Is the son of Adolf Hitler, Adolf Hitler, <laughs> Charles Manson? I was just looking at the story real quickly, and that's what popped out. But uh, uh, yeah, Get, getting just getting back to that for a minute. Uh, to me, it's uh, I'm going to guess that that helped increase the uh, the ratings for his radio show. Yeah, I was thinking that. So uh, what I'm thinking is, uh, you know, we've got about three minutes here before the news, and then we take about a six-minute news break. During that time, maybe we could create complete genealogical trees of ourselves and see uh, what crazy psycho killers are in our checkered past so that we can help increase the ratings for this show. Like, I'm going to go on, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that I'm related to uh, crazy flute-playing 
Tim Weisberg <laughs> of the same name, which I'm not, but for rating's sake, I'll say it. Because I, I hear he's huge with the uh, soft jazz audience. Uh, so, hmm. Matt Costa, are you related to uh, uh, I, uh, fellow my, rock and roller Matt Costa? <clears throat> no, but my uh, my uncle is uh, Norman Swarzkopf, <laughs> and I uh, I gave him I, I gave him that idea of calling Desert Storm Desert Storm and Desert <laughs> Shield Desert Shield. <laughs> where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> Way out of left field. That's where I came from. <laughs> I will say so. Storm and Norman. All right, Matt Bodies, any uh. Any, any crazy crazy branches in your family tree? A few. Ironically, you know, we're all from, from Wareham, and none of us talked about <laughs> our family tree being a wreath. So. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now that we've uh, had half the South Coast turn off their radios and discuss, we're going to take a break for the news. When we come back in the second hour, we'll do the Week in Weird really quickly, and then joining us will be Raymond Wiley of the Disinformation Company. We're going to talk about conspiracy theories. We're going to talk about... The Georgia Guidestones, which is something I don't know anything about. I'm interested in finding out more about that. That's pretty cool. And uh, we'll take your calls as well, 508-996-1420. Wait. 508-996-0500, Matt, instead of the swastika, please get those tattooed on your forehead. It'll be a lot easier for yeah. me. All right, we'll be right back with more after the news here on Spooky South Coast. All right, All well, right. welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Who knows what's going on? This is crazy. Uh, we're having uh, lots of fun here with crazy technology. Um, right. It, it was Things were so much simpler when it was just press a few buttons and you're on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to bring in computers and all that kind of stuff. Um, well, we want to get into the, the discussion in just a few minutes with Raymond Wiley. He's our guest tonight from the Disinformation Company. And we're going to talk with him in a few minutes, but uh, right now we want to let you know just about a few things, and then we'll do a quick version of the Week in Weird. One is, of course, again, Investigators Night tomorrow night at the Quickishan Club in Fall River. SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to pre- pre-register. You can also buy your tickets at the door. $50 a ticket uh, starts at 6 p.m. Uh, the directions are right on SpookySouthCoast.com. And then coming up Friday at the Seaport Inn and Marina right here in Fairhaven, Rock for Christmas with uh, headliner Eddie Money. So you don't want to miss this. It's Eddie Money, uh, Kelly Keeling of Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Terry Luce of XYZ, Joey Mullen of Badfinger, and, of course, our own Ernie Bach and the Automatics. Ernie and the Automatics will be performing as well. So you don't want to miss this. It's a fundraiser to help benefit local families in need at Christmas time. Wayne Morrison does a great job with it. Butch Patrick, TV's Eddie Munster, he's going to be the MC. And the Seaport Inn has special VIP packages available for $199 that include ticket, two tickets to the event, a uh, chance to stay overnight at the Seaport Inn, and a meet and greet with the stars, an autograph session, photos, and uh, a special cocktail hors d'oeuvre hour too. So uh, definitely go to their website, seaportinnandmarina.com, if you want to get involved with the VIP package. If you want to purchase Rock for, tic- uh, Rock for Christmas tickets, just go to rock4xmas.com for more information. We've got a few pairs left here in the studio. They're $20 a ticket. If you want to come by before we leave at about quarter past 12, we can sell you the tickets. Again, $20 per ticket for Rock for Christmas. And if you don't get the chance to check them out Friday night in Fairhaven, well, they're at the Cape Cod Community College on Saturday night in Hyannis. And then there's numerous shows coming up around the New England area uh, coming up. Uh, just go to rockforchristmas.com and you can get the whole itinerary. So that'll take care of that. 
All right, Matt, if you're ready, let's get a little weird. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful weird stuff. I feel, I feel so very weird. <laughs> The Week in Weird. All right. Well, I'm going to put off the Week in Weird story that I had planned because Christine called up at the end of the first hour and mentioned the time traveler that might have sabotaged the uh, Hadron Collider. And we mentioned John Teeter, uh, noted time mm-hmm. traveler who's been discussed on many paranormal talk shows. Well, Moniz discussed a bird dropping bread into the... Adrian Collider, and then that would cause it to go offline. Apparently, though, the two theories, the, the two stories are kind of crossed. merged, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit weird, but we did find this out uh, from Time Magazine, actually. Uh, the Time Magazine website had a story by Eben Harrell. Did a time-traveling bird sabotage the collider? And it's interesting. Uh, why mo- it basically, it mentions that you know a bit of bread was dropped into the collider, and that's what caused it to go offline. While most scientists would write off the event as a freak accident, two esteemed physicists have formulated a theory that suggests an alternative explanation. Perhaps a time-traveling bird was sent from the future to sabotage the experiment. Beck Nielsen of the Niels Bohr Institute in Copenhagen and Maso Ninomaya of the Yakawa Institute of Theoretical Physics in Kyoto, Japan, have published several papers over the past year arguing that the CERN experiment may be the latest in a series of psychic uh, physics research projects whose purposes are so unacceptable to the universe that they are doomed to fail, subverted by the future. In a series of audacious papers, Nielsen and Ninomaya have suggested that setbacks to the LHC occur because of, quote, reverse chronological causation, which is to say, sabotage from the future. The paper suggests that the Higgs boson may be abhorrent to nature, and that the LHC's creation of the Higgs sometime in the future sends ripples backward through time to scupper its own creation. Each time scientists are on the verge of capturing the Higgs, the theory holds, the future intercedes. The theory as to why the universe rejects the creation of Higgs bosons is based on complex mathematics, but Nielsen tells Times you can explain it simply by saying that God, in inverted commas, or nature, hates the Higgs and tries to avoid them. And I wish I hadn't read that line, read that line on the air. <laughs> now that I did so, but... Uh, so there you go. There actually is a theory, Christine, that a time-traveling bird is what caused the problem, and these two well-noted physicists believe that there are numerous attempts to sabotage such devices from the future. So, I mean, this is from Time Magazine. You read it in Harper's. So this is getting some major mainstream news recognition here, the possibility of a time-traveling bird. So there you go. Matt Costa, what do you have for us? All right. Twilight fan was bitten on the neck by a would-be... Vampire at the New Moon movie screen. Oh, Chris, our, our, we hope you get better yeah. soon. <laughs> How old is Chris? Is he in his 40s? No. Oh. no. Local police are hunting for a suspect after a 17-year-old told officers she was, she was a victim of a vampire-style attack. She, she was with a friend at the Friday night showing of the Twilight Saga New Moon at the Cinema Carousel in Norton Shores, Michigan, when a stranger sitting behind her was making sig- sexually suggestive comments, she said. A teenager told Fox 17 News that when her friend said she wished the movie vampire Edwin- Edward Cullen would bite her, 
The man leaned over and asked, Can I bite you? <laughs> they ignored him for the rest of the film, but moments after the... This guy's smooth. <laughs> Let me tell you. So <laughs> she's Team Edward, you're saying? <laughs> Apparently. Okay. They ignored him for the rest of the film, but moments after the credits rolled, he allegedly made a lunge for the girl. She She claimed she was... We started to walk away, and I got maybe two feet from my chair, and he pulled me back by my hair and bit me on the neck. He was just smiling at me in the creepiest way. She said she was left uh, with a bite, mac- bite mark on her neck, which uh, has since disappeared. Fox 17 said the man was in his 40s, roughly 5 feet tall, with glasses and a mustache. So, my only question is... Moniz, how was the movie, <laughs> and where did you ditch the disguise? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, you're, you're much taller than five feet, too. Yeah, glasses and a mustache. Could have been one of those Groucho marks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really? Did anybody not think there was something wrong with a five-foot-tall, glasses-wearing, glasses mustachioed, 40-something-year-old man going to see New Moon? Did that not stand out as potential stranger danger? Not there with a daughter or something to see it? I mean, really. Stranger danger. (laughs) Do you want me to bite you? I'm going to totally keep that in mind because the next time I'm trying to pick up a teenage girl in a movie theater, that's going to be my line. Oh, boy. And, the, of course, having struck out, he went to see Planet 51 the next day in the hopes of picking up a 13-year-old. So. <laughs> oh, man. All oh, right, Matt Moniz, what do you have for us? Yeah. Out of the frying pan into the fire here. From the Telegraph in the U.K., a suspected gas leak at an Australian farm, which led 15 firemen and two fire engines to the rush, uh, to, rush to the scene, turned out to be the work of a flatulent pig. Thank you for this. I really do thank you. The farmer in Alexdale in in a town in Victoria in the southeast of the country called the emergency services after believing he had smelt gas. When <laughs> fire crews arrived, they found the real culprit, a 260-pound sow the family's children kept as a pet. Fire captain... Peter Harkins said, we got there, and as we drove up the driveway, there was this huge sow, about 120-odd kilos, which is 265-pound sow, and it was very obvious where the gas was coming from. We could not only smell it, but we could hear it, and it was quite funny, he said. He added, she got very excited when the two trucks and the 15 firemen turned up, and she squealed and farted and squealed and farted. I haven't heard too many pigs fart, but I would describe it as very full on. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's really not much more to say after that. No, there Except isn't. I'm wondering how many of those flatulent pigs they're keeping in the parking lot here. Yeah. When we get out. But. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the week and weird for this week, and we're definitely going to leave the flatulent pig alone. If you have a story you'd like to contribute to The Week and Weird, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the forum tab, go to The Week and Weird thread, drop it in there, and if we read your story on the air, we'll send you a bumper sticker while supplies last. And don't worry, Ethel, we have yours coming. Ethel's real name is Dave, so we have Dave's coming, right? (laughs) We do. Send it out already? Yep. All right. 
Send him some good old American H1N1 with it. <laughs> Got you. All right. Bring cool. back Ebola. Bring back Ebola. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Hey, man. What? You up? No. Wake up. I need to talk to you. I think your house is haunted. Hey, come on. It's 2.30 in the morning. I can't sleep in here, man. I'm scared. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. See, I can't see the sliders from where I'm sitting. I have to sit down, though, because my foot hurts. Too much turkey, maybe? You think that might be the problem? It might be. Yeah. Well, uh, I didn't really have that sandwich. much, actually. I didn't have that much. Actually, I'm looking forward to a turkey sandwich coming up maybe when I get home. All right, well, joining us on the line right now, we have Raymond Wiley. He's from the Disinformation Company, and you can visit their website, disinfo.com. And, uh, you know, by that we mean disinformation like as in counterinformation, not like, you know, disinfo right here, which, uh, you know, coming from our area, we have to specify that. How are you tonight, Raymond? I'm doing very well. How are you guys? Oh, we're spooktacular, as we like to say. Excellent. Well, I hope I'm coming in clear. Sure. Okay, great. Well, hello, New Bedford. It's been uh, a year or two since I've been on the actual radio. I'm usually out in podcast land, so this is kind of nice tonight, so... Well, we'll hit you with both because we'll be podcasting this later, so you'll feel right at home. That's good. That's <laughs> good. The the, uh, the the temporal disconnect can can do what it needs to do once we've got this recorded. So, uh, yes, yeah, great great to be on the show tonight, guys. Um, you know, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. So, I've got a, a number of things. Do you want me to? I guess I should start off by saying a little bit about myself. Sure. And uh, disinformation. Uh, like you guys said before, my name is Raymond Wiley. Um, I work doing promotions for the disinformation company and also producing and creating a podcast for them. It's called Disinformation the Podcast. And then we also do another series called Disinformation World News. And on Disinformation the Podcast, we interview authors and filmmakers who, who do uh, works that are sort of strange and unusual or sort of out on the fringe and then disinformation world news is actually not unlike the news segment you guys just did where you, you find some weird news from the past couple of weeks and sort of try to present it in a um, semi-serious, semi-comical way to the audience. So, um, And then I guess disinformation as a whole is a publishing company and they distribute about 50 books and about 50 DVDs all on sort of fringe, strange, conspiracy, occult kind of topics. So, and we can definitely talk about those kinds of themes tonight. So. Well, you know, if you go to disinfo.com and you look at the, the roster of, of talent that you have there, you know, two names that stand out with a lot of people uh, who are kind of on the fringe of this subject are, are Jim Mars and Alex Jones, but there are a number of people who are working to expose stories that are, are being suppressed. And and there's so many people out there right now that are trying to get the truth out there. Maybe maybe it's, uh, you know, we were inspired by eight years of a very buttoned-down Republican administration, but it just seems like the fight is there more than ever to get the truth out there. Well, that, that's exactly right. And um, we try to work with filmmakers and authors that... Uh, many of them are fighting that fight in some kind of way, and they don't always necessarily agree with each other. We try to have a really 
um, free flow of ideas in the, in the uh, releases that we pick to distribute. So on one end, you'll have someone like Alex Jones who talks about New World Order conspiracy theories and 9-11 conspiracy theories and stuff that might get you branded slightly to the right. Um, then on the other end, we release the films of Robert Greenwald, who are, uh, by contrast, very progressive, also sort of against the system. I guess that's the common theme. But in Greenwald's case, with films like Walmart, The High Cost of a Low Price, uh, Outfoxed, Rupert Murdoch's War on Journalism, and then his recent release, Rethinking Afghanistan. Oh, well, well, we don't, um, we don't talk about the Rupert Murdoch stuff here on this show because... I work for a uh, a newspaper that's owned by Dow Jones. Uh oh. <laughs> so, but not not WBSM though. No, no, they're not related. No. So okay, you can, good. You can good, say good. it, but I can't say it. <laughs> I think I think there's something in my contract that says I can't talk down about. Uh, although wait a minute, I guess if the Simpsons can crap all over Rupert Murdoch, so can I. Well, um, we're not on the Simpsons, right? So we'll see. We'll see how it goes, right? They, they may swoop in with the black helicopters right here in the middle of the interview. We, we've got you the windows, so I'll let you know if they're coming. Right. Um, well, you know they've got that uh, no on-air mistakes policy now, so we better be careful tonight. That's all I got <laughs> to say. So um, yeah, that's basically what Disinfo does, and like I said, you know we try to release stuff that's on both ends of the spectrum, and then. Um, for me personally, you know, I get a kick out of creating podcasts and creating broadcasts just like you guys do that are in sort of the strange and weird variety. So before I worked for Disinfo, I created a podcast called Out There Radio. Um, it also ran as a radio show like your show does uh, on WUOG in Athens, Georgia. It was sort of my college radio days, and we did about 50 episodes of that. It was all about conspiracy theories um, and the occult and these sorts of topics. So um, it's really my background, and it's really it's cool to be able to work with Disinfo now, especially working on their website, because um, you know this is sort of a it's, it's sort of like taking a step up, you know, from from the college radio stuff, and now uh, actually working with people who are publishing this kind of stuff. It's really it's a lot of fun, I gotta say. Um, but I, I guess you guys probably don't want to talk about me so much as you want to talk about specific topics. So you know, fire away. But it is kind of interesting to to show people that when it comes to the conspiracy theories and and this subject matter, you know, the people who are researching this and writing about this and making these films are normal, regular people. They're not whack jobs, and they're not the you know the the lone nuts that they're described as being. I mean, this is nobody goes into making one of these projects, whether it be a book or a film, without a lot of solid research to suggest that say. You know, nine eleven or the JFK assassination, whatever it is, that there is a conspiracy present there. Until you know, as long as there's enough there for them to want to delve into the subject matter more, to me that that's cause for concern that maybe there are conspiracies involved in these things. Well, you know, and that may be the case, and they may be true, and they may be completely off base. You know what I'm saying? And that's and and for me. It's it, it's it's sort of my job, and I guess the company I work for by extension as well, to present these topics to the audience and let them make up their minds on their own. Now, what I will say is is that there you you find different kinds of people out in the world. There are some people that have this message, right? They 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 have some editorial content that they want to convey to you. For instance, nine eleven was done by the government. That's very that's like I guess probably the most common conspiracy theory that we find sort of floating around out there. And then you have other people 
who come to the topic and they just want to 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 capture what it is and find out some truth without having some preset uh, editorial point going into it. They don't say, I want to make a movie about how the government did 9-11. They say, I want to make a movie about 9-11 and see where that goes. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's why I like, um, if you guys are familiar, I don't know if you guys have talked about this new movie that's out right now called The Men Who Stare at Goats. <laughs> okay. Um, but um, that film is actually based on a documentary film made by a guy named John Ronson, who did some, who did uh, all these documentaries for Channel Four over in England about ten years ago. And that film is just basically that documentary with maybe a little bit of extra writing added to it. But the characters you see are all real people. Uh, Stumblebine uh, and, and, and the character Ewan McGregor plays is this little documentary filmmaker from uh, from England that's come over here to sort of. Um, explore this and and what i like about this is it is it shows you that like you don't have to make up a story for it to be wildly interesting to people like sometimes you can just delve right into what's going on right now and it doesn't take looking for a conspiracy theory actually sometimes the most fun thing is to look at conspiracy theorists or whatever subculture it is aside from their beliefs then you start finding really interesting things. Well, to so. me too, it's it's also interesting that it's it's not just the fact that the conspiracy is there or that the theories are there. I mean, that people think that there was something more than what we're being told. It's the fact that we, we've almost reached a point in, in our culture now where no matter what the situation is, we never take the explanation we're given at face value. So no matter what's going on, there always seems to be some sort of conspiracy angle involved and 9-11 was a perfect example of that because by the end of the day you know we already knew but before the six o'clock news came on that day we had the news broadcasters telling us that it was osama bin laden that was involved and before we even went to sleep that night we heard about how the u.s had trained osama bin laden we'd heard about you know the reaction bush had had we'd heard all these little uh beginning inklings of a conspiracy so that by the time everybody woke up on September 12th, there was already conspiracy theories in place. Oh, oh, absolutely. And, and the Bush administration started their own conspiracy theory <coughs> Excuse me, <coughs> on the day of 9-11. And this is really an interesting story. It has nothing to do with the mainstream conspiracy theories or whether towers were blown up or missiles into the Pentagon. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's this story, and if you go back into the, into the news and you read about it, it's called The Angel is Next. And it's uh, basically this story that the White House concocted the day of 9-11 to explain why they ran ran out of Florida with their tails between their legs and didn't have a specific goal or purpose that whole day. They're sort of flying all over the U.S., sort of waiting to see what happens. It's like 8 or 9 o'clock before Bush, in the evening before Bush comes back that night and gives that famous address to the nation about, you know, this, you know, we've been attacked and our freedom's been attacked and all that or whatever it was that he said. Um but so they had to come up. I, I mean, looking back in the record, it, it would appear that they had to come up with some kind of cover story that day to, to explain why Bush was flying to, uh, you know, NORAD headquarters and into some Air Force base in Louisiana and all this stuff. So what they said was that they got this credible threat on Air Force One. Now, in, in subsequent days, like just a few days later, they just completely retracted all of this. Um, because there was no proof at all, and you know, no one in the loop ever 
heard about any threat on the president that day, but you can probably remember it from the news reporting that day if you think back to that day. And I read Ari Fleischer's press conference, that first one on that next morning, and he talks about that, and they, the press asks him over and over again about it. So so there you go. It, it's a story that never happened. There was probably never any sort of threat on George Bush the day of 9-11. But there, is, but there you go. There's the White House creating the very first conspiracy theory about 9-11. Well, so if from day one, even, even the administration is willing to just lie about anything that went down that day to cover themselves, it's interesting that you mentioned that, though, you know. because uh, there was a website that recently released this week, um, supposedly through a government source or a, a phone company source, however they got it, um, this website got a hold of all the text messages that were supposedly sent during the hours that 9-11, the attacks, and the ensuing hours of, of the... You know, just everything that went on after that. And if you remember, the, the phone lines, the, the phone systems mm-hmm. were so clogged that text couldn't go through, cell phone calls couldn't go through. Uh, I know Verizon's building was, uh, under attack too, and that was one of their main headquarters. They were involved in the, when the towers went down, their, their building went down as well. Um, so this site supposedly got a hold of all the texts that were tried, tried to be sent at that time and posted them up on the internet. And it specifically has text that mentioned the angel, which be, is being the code word for Air Force One, and it mentions the code words for Bush's daughters. I mean, so it definitely seemed like at least somebody was putting that information out there, even as the attacks were going on. And that that could very well be the case. And I guess you know I don't want to get too much into the nine eleven stuff tonight. I mean, I guess I've sure, seen no, most of the films in the genre. But what I'll say about it is this: is that. Um, you have to watch out, right? Because if you watch four or five documentary films in the same night, and they all have the exact same editorial content, or you know, they're all trying to prove the exact same point to you, that's not a balanced argument, and that's not a basis from which you could make a decision on. Like, it, say you had to make a decision about, oh, I don't know, your religious beliefs, and say um, a representative of the same religion came to your house five times in one night, as opposed to five representatives from five different religions. Could you really make an informed decision if you'd only heard one side of the story? And that's what I worry about about 9-11, is that people on both ends of the spectrum, people who think all the conspiracy theorists are bunko and that they're crazy, and then people who think that you know they've got to stop this new world order because it did 9-11, um, you know, there's a, there's a middle there. That you, where you can sort of sit and explore and have some sort of intellectual discovery and not have to take on a fundamentalist belief on either end. And that's, I guess, what I would tell people going into studying any sort of conspiracy theory or alternate version of, of, of the history we normally hear, is that, yes, history isn't always like we think it is, or it isn't always what's told to us in our school books or whatever, but that doesn't mean that the person with the alternate view is right, because the alternate view can all can also have a cult of personality of their own going. They can have their own little mini new world order, their own mini tyranny going in their own lives, and uh, you know it's just as easy to become a uh, a slave to government propaganda as it is to become a slave to somebody like, say, Lyndon Larouche, for example. 
Well, I mean, that, that is one, one problem that you encounter, uh, doing a show like ours and, and the shows that you put on where, you know, it seems like when you put an idea out there, when there is a conspiracy theory out there, there's a segment of the population that's immediately going to attach onto that, no matter what it is, because we so often don't get the complete story in, in the regular news media, so that when facts come out that don't jibe with what we were told by the Associated Press or CNN, well, then the alternative must be true then, because otherwise, why would they have suppressed it? That, that's exactly right. And that's the thing is we're used to the government lying to us, because guess what? The government does lie to us. So the, the thing is, though, is it becomes like this chicken little thing. Like the sky isn't falling every time, okay? Um, so you have to sort of take things with a grain of salt. You can't believe every theory you hear about the government, even though you know the government is capable of doing evil. Well, I agree so, with the idea that the government always lies to us, but I, I don't think it's for the reason people think. People think that the government lies because they have something to hide. I think the government lies more because they don't want to take the time to explain. They don't want to have to explain. Or the other more truthful end, they don't really know. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> Well, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about 9-11 is you're right. Like Richard Clark made that call one hour into the attack. He said, this is Osama bin Laden. This is absolutely who this is. And that has never changed from the very beginning. So, um, but, you know, I have no, I have nothing that's like some huge concrete evidence that I could show you to prove that it was otherwise. So well, I'm not going to sit here and, and be and be the conspiracy theorist. You well, know what I'm saying? I'm just going to say that I've looked into conspiracy theories and I think they're really interesting. I'll give you now, one. Also, I was going to say, I'll give you one final line on 9-11. It definitely was a conspiracy. No matter who was involved, they conspired to yeah. get it done. So. <laughs> that's right. Even if it even if it was the, the exact hijackers that we've been shown pictures and given the names of, even if it was exactly those people, that's a conspiracy. That's exactly right. So... Um, but here's, here's one thing about the conspiracy subculture in general. I've, and I've been around this for five, six years now. Here's one thing about the conspiracy subculture that rubs me the wrong way sometimes. And that is that people have a tendency to look at, um, I guess non-evangelical religious viewpoints. And if, if, and, and they say, oh, well, that's Satanism. Right. They say, okay, there's this new world order out there. And what's the worst thing the new world order can do if you're, uh, if you, you know, are a, a, you know, uh, if you have one sort of belief system and you say, okay, well, the new world order must have the opposite belief system of that. But here in the United States, most people are Christian. So this idea of Satanism gets tacked on to the idea of a conspiracy theory. There's this cabal up there somewhere and they worship Satan and they do magic. In all of this stuff. And um, another thing that I've studied about like our culture here in the country at large over the past four or five years is are these ideas of magic and esotericism, the occult, paganism, things like this. And you know, if you're worried about the government coming down on you um, and you're worried that there are all these pagans and stuff out there that are going to get you, you're way off base because, yes, there are people who believe these sorts of like pagan and magical kind of pass all over the country. And, and and that's growing as the years go by. But they're just like you. And they're you know, they they're not part of some government conspiracy. They are just like you and they're probably your neighbors. And, and 
they're probably pretty good people, <laughs> you know. And, but they really get they, these sorts of ideas really get a bad rap, you know. Like um, if you're into like, uh, for instance, like uh, the idea of rituals. Um, or the idea of paganism, like these sorts of things get lumped in with this whole New World Order mindset a lot of times because people read their religious beliefs into their political theories. Have you guys noticed this doing Spooky South Coast? Well, there's this sort of denigration of people who are interested in magic and these sorts of ideas. And not only that, but I mean, we, we put it onto our past too, as well as the current world situation. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had discussions with people who say that our country was founded by a bunch of cultists because so many of our founding fathers were Masons. And we've got a Mason right here on the panel, Matt Moniz, and, yeah. and I can tell and you And a now, pagan. <laughs> maybe they're just not letting him in on the secrets, but at least from what he's been telling me about the Masons, they're not some kind of magic cult. You know, they're, no. they're, but they are people who are of strong moral character and believe in doing good for the common good, and that's why you can see why so many of these founding fathers were part of that. Well, it all has to do with the quote-unquote secrecy of things. It's not so much that there there's secret rituals and this and that. You know, the secrecy is more about who is involved. It's an, I, the idea of masonry is more about uh, taking care of people in a charitable way without taking the the accolades for it, doing it anonymously. That's why most Masons prefer to remain, you know, cloistered and secretive is not so much, you know, they're looking to do things to help their community and their people for the simple fact of doing it because it's our community and, you know, things for our people, not trying to get anything out of it. And unfortunately, people who are, you know, Outside of that, they put their own spins and imaginations to things, and unfortunately, that's what happens. Of course, Raymond, that could be just what he's supposed to tell us. Well, well maybe so, but this is a this is exactly what's been going on. I mean, since I, I guess the 1820s here in the U.S., there's been this sort of anti-Masonic current, and it follows the same crowds of people that are typically into conspiracy theories. You know, I mean the Pound for pound, the greatest conspiracy of all time is this guy James Shelby Downard, and that was his whole kick, was that there's this Masonic conspiracy, they're doing these grand alchemical rituals, and he, and he, and he went to great lengths to like say that uh, the atomic bomb test at Trinity, New Mexico, and the uh, assassination of JFK were these Masonic alchemical rituals. I mean, it's great stuff, but... It's just because they're this group, and you and there's a secrecy around them, and it's easy to cast this sort of um, boogeyman quality on them. Um, but if you but if you go back into history and you look at you know the actual ideas of things like masonry and and, and some of the esoteric thought philosophies that sort of preceded it, like Rosicrucianism and Christian Hermeticism and Christian Kabbalah, these things that come out of the Renaissance, um, you find that they are exactly where the Enlightenment comes from. They are exactly where all of the best ideas we read about in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution comes from. Like, it's not the, the hardline church that had ruled Europe for a thousand years that gave you freedom of religion and freedom of the press and you know, a vote, 
you know, it was people who had underground alternate spiritual outlooks, and they had to express that through symbolism. And then, of course, you can take that symbolism and twist it any way you want now in, in the 20th century, but... Um, you know, if you look at solid historians like Frances Yates, for example, uh, and then people that followed after her studying these esoteric thought currents, like you find that, like they have all sorts of positive influences on where we've come as a people. You know, they they were very progressive for their time, and of course now, you know, and I'm and I'm sure, you know, you you found this to be very, very true, too, that it's not that if you look at masonry in the United States in the late 20th century, it's um, it's not much different from the Moose Lodge or the or VW or the, the Veterans of Foreign Wars. Or, or your American Rotary Region. Club, yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's, it's a place where people can come together and provide some charity for the community. I mean, if you asked, I'm sure if you went and asked the other guys in your lodge, Tell me about Rosicrucianism and Emanuel Swedenborg and all this stuff. They wouldn't know what the hell you were talking right. about. I mean, most you know? of it's now just for what what's being served on the dinner for tonight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and But they're still doing good, right? I right. mean, they're the largest charitable organization in, in the, the United States, basically. In the world. Scottish Rite Hospital. We've yeah. got one down in Atlanta. Every every child that they put through that hospital goes through it for free, whatever what, treatment Not they only need. that, you have the Shriners, which you have to be a Mason in order to be a Shriner. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, yeah. And, you know, if there's secrecy involved with that, because it's in their tradition, yeah, I'm fine yeah. with that. <clears throat> what what I'm not fine with is when there are organizations that you know supposedly exist, the Bilderbergs, for example. Yeah, and, the, now you're getting into something completely yeah, different. When you have these organizations that kind of try to operate outside, you know, the regular rules of society and try to kind of meet with the purpose of influencing society, we call that you know a negative conspiracy we call that you know one of these cults of evil or whatever you want to put the spin on it for but really isn't that just kind of a, a think tank isn't that really just kind of people who are some people the, call it elitism yeah it's people that have the ability to influence policy and are trying to meet together to figure out the best way to do that whether or not it serves their own interests that's a different story but i mean that must be something that's a, a frequent topic on your radar things like the bilderbergs oh absolutely well um one of the most recent films we've released at Disinfo is called New World Order. And part of the film uh, follows this guy, Jim Tucker, big Jim Tucker, they call him, as he tries to infiltrate and get whatever information he can about the Bilderbergers. He goes, whenever they meet, he tries to go to whatever hotel it is that they're doing their thing at and sort of snoop around. And um, uncannily... Like people, like I guess the just the, the documentary film community has caught on to this over the years, and I think three or four documentary crews have followed him on his adventures over the years. Um, and that's one of the things that they talk about in New World, in this film, New World Order, that's just come out. It's sort of this overview of the conspiracy subculture and different kinds of people that are in it. But um, so yeah, I mean, it definitely comes up on our radar a lot. Um, Globalism is a concern for a lot of people, especially if they're sort of like libertarian, sort of if they have that kind of mindset, then they're, they're very against this idea of globalism. And I can um, 
I can do pros and cons, right? So I'm not, I haven't made it. I'm, I'm agnostic about most things, I guess, and that's one that I remain well, agnostic but I, about. I got to look at today's current climate. When you look at our economy and the way things are going in this country and in the world, you know, the, you're kind of getting to a point whether you can say they caused it or whether you can say they influenced it, but we are getting at a point where people are kind of looking at a more global union and saying, gee, maybe it's not such a bad idea after all. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's pushback. I see more pushback against that than I see people embracing it. I think people were embracing that a lot more right after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Uh, and and there's been, I've you see more backlash to it now. If you like took a poll, you might find that you know most people in Europe, for example, probably are for a an EU that uh, is more integrated, where the countries are more integrated. But uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I certainly don't think that I have the cultural context to vote on a law that some per- some person over in India or China has to be subject to. Like, I just don't know enough about what their lives are like to, to think that I should have any influence over well, their lives like that. Because we all That's enjoy democracy, pers- so we think democracy is right. We don't understand why everybody just doesn't have democracy. Well, I guess, and I mean, maybe that's our conceit as a nation, because a lot of times we try to install democracy in places where, you know, it's not like they're, it's not like everybody's just going to be like, oh yeah, that's a great idea, let's do it. You know, it's not like they haven't had hundreds of years to do it. You know, it's not like it's a new concept. I mean, it's been around for a while. Well, we're actually we're going to be running out of time soon, Raymond. One thing I definitely want to ask you about uh, before we run out of time is something I'm not familiar with: the Georgia Guidestones. Yeah, good stuff. Oh, yeah, now I got, I'm going to have to – what do we have, about 10 minutes? Because I'm going to have to condense this. We have about uh, about six minutes. Six minutes. Sorry okay, well, um, I'll tell you this. The Georgia Guidestones are sometimes called America's Stonehenge. They are a large granite monument that was built in Elberton, Georgia. That's in East Georgia uh, around about 1980. Um, they have 10 guidelines for – guiding the future of humanity after some terrible thing happens on them. So they are in many ways a relic of the Cold War, okay? Uh, these ten guidelines are printed in six or seven different languages on, this, on the, the stones of this monument. They're about 16, 17 feet tall, and they have a capstone that holds all four of them together, Okay. They've become a nexus for conspiracy theorists and researchers who believe that they are some sort of sign that the New World Order is going to wipe us all out, and this is going to be like their monument for after after they do their Malthusian apocalypse or whatever. And um, I, I, I live about 50 miles away from this monument here in Georgia, and have researched them quite a bit, and I find the the accusations of conspiracy surrounding them to be utterly absurd. <laughs> and uh, what's sad about it is, is, is all of this, uh, is all of this, has led to them being defaced and vandalized over the course of the past year, especially since the Obama election. And um, it's it's just been sort of this sad story. Um, uh, a fellow came in and wanted to have them built. He wanted to remain completely anonymous. He used the pseudonym R.C. Christian, mm-hmm. which could be some link to those Rosicrucians that we were talking about earlier or some kind of other fraternity that he may have belonged to. 
But it's obvious that he put up his own money because the project ran out of money before it was over with and the stones were not as large or there were there as many of them as the original plans were. So if Rockefeller and the Rothschilds and the New World Order or whoever you think it is built the Georgia Guidestones, then I don't know why they ran out of money in the middle of it. Um, but what is interesting is they are this sort of monument to an idea of enlightenment and a more environmentally friendly society. And um, it's strange that they get turned around as this nexus for people who believe that there's going to be this new world order or some kind of like Orwellian takeover by the government. I mean, I'm not even discounting that as a possibility, but these monuments have really nothing to do with that. But they're very interesting to study and um, they're very provocative because one of them says that you should maintain the population below 500 million. So a lot of people take that with their pre-existing beliefs to say, oh my God, the New World Order is going to reduce us all down to 500 million and kill everybody off. But uh, when you look at the man who had it built, his writings, and the book that he sent to the people of Elberton where the, the monument was built and the letters he sent to the librarian there, which I've studied, um, you find that um, he was actually in the same sort of Cold War hysteria that many other people in this country were in the early 1980s, the same sort of hysteria that surrounded films like War Games and the day after he was afraid that there was going to be a nuclear war and uh, things were going to go all Mad Max after that, and he wanted to build this monument to stand after something terrible happened. So... Um, if you're interested, you can read about them on the internet, um, and you can always visit sunny Elberton, Georgia, where they build granite monuments. So, <laughs> well, I would definitely like to have you come back on sometime in the future. We can do a whole show on them because, it, I mean, I like I said, I hadn't heard of them, and it's just to me, it's it's fascinating that there's an altruistic, you know, endeavor behind it and how it can be turned around, and it's just it's what we're talking about here. How We've become in the mindset now where everything's a conspiracy. Uh, it, it really can be that way, but, but even if we, after we've said all this, be mindful. Do not trust the government, right? So anyway, I guess uh, New Bedford, I'm running out of time here, so thanks for listening tonight. All right, well, we'll talk to you real soon for sure. Right. Uh, my name is Raymond Wiley, and visit my website, www.disinfo.com. All right, thank you very much, Raymond. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. All right, that was Raymond Wiley, as he said, of the Disinformation Company. Disinfo.com is the website. Highly recommend it. Check out some of the works they have there. You're going to hear a lot of their authors and filmmakers on our airwaves coming up in the future because we definitely want to get the information out to you, the disinformation out to you. We want to make sure that we give you all the information you can have to make your own informed decision. So, again, remember, real quickly, just a few things for this week coming up. Tomorrow night... Quickishan Club in Fall River, Investigators Night, $50 a ticket, still plenty of space. You can either email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can go on our website and sign up there, or you can just show up at the door and let us know. Again, please try to bring exact change. Help us out. And uh, then on Friday, December 4th, Rock for Christmas right here at the Seaport Inn and Marina in Fairhaven. Eddie Money is going to be the headliner as well as Ernie and the Automatics, Kelly Keeling, Terry Loose, and Joey Mullins, so you don't want to miss that. It's going to be an outstanding show. They always put on a great performance no matter what. And, and the fact that you can see Eddie Money five minutes from home 
for only $20 a ticket. You can't beat that. So rock4xmas.com, rock4xmas.com for more information. We have a few tickets. If you're out in the car and you want to swing by and grab a couple before you go home, uh, we'll be here for about another 10 minutes. But until then, we'll be back next week, probably exhausted between the uh, Investigators Night and Rock for Christmas, but we will be here, and we're going to have joining us. It's going to be kind of a different show than what we normally do. Uh, you know, we've done psychic shows before in the past where we've had, uh, you know, psychics come on and they'll give you a reading over the, over the air, and you'll, well, you'll come away with something from it. Well, we're going to have John Lucas, who uh, has a website, beyondhealingjohnlucas.com. And what he does is he can actually help alleviate your pain over the phone. It's going to be a fascinating night, I think. It, instead of just getting you know, a prediction for the future as you do with a psychic, we're going to have somebody who can actually make an immediate instant impact in your life. John Lucas is going to come on, and he's going to help heal whatever ails you just over the phone. So make sure you tune in for that. You don't want to miss it. And uh, we'll take plenty of calls throughout the course of the night. So until then, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular.